Moses. Moses. Your father's called me God. And I I have made you an orphan of grace. I have sustained you in the house of a king. Now see your purpose. For I have heard the cries of my people. I have seen the weight of their oppression. And I have come down to deliver them. And I will stretch out my hand against Egypt and guide my people to a land I have prepared. I will make you my mouthpiece. I will make you a shadow of one greater to come. I will lead you as I have led you. Now go! And you will see what I will do to Pharaoh. We are continuing today through the book of Exodus. It's a sermon series entitled, God Brings Us Out to Bring Us In. So God does not deliver us from difficulties for the sake of deliverance. He is bringing us out of turmoil to bring us into his throne of grace. And that is a constant narrative in our lives. As we cry out, God, save us. But God is saving us to bring us closer to him. And that is something that we need to be cognizant of constantly in our minds and in our hearts. So if you have your Bibles with you today, please join me in Exodus chapter 3. Exodus chapter 3. Exodus is in the Old Testament. It's the second book of the Bible. And as you look, I want to ask you this question and think about this scenario. Have you ever been in a situation where you received an answer that you weren't expecting. Some of you have kids, and you'll ask them sometimes questions, and you, the response you get is, you know, what's your favorite sports team? Unicorn. You don't know how to relate. I remember um, in 2004, I had really worked through uh, my college career and and also I had three years of Spanish in high school, so I was working towards going overseas. And so for four months, I was going to work with the International Mission Board, which would fulfill my business apprenticeship for my college degree. Now, say that's not a God-ordained opportunity. So my secular university let me do mission work to fulfill my business degree. I said, Lord, only you. Um, so we go to Lima, Peru, and... I had prepared, and as we were driving towards the hotel that we were going to stay at, the missionary housing, we drove past McDonald's. So at this point, I've had three years of Spanish in high school. I've had three years in my university. I'm not going to mention it, so I don't embarrass the university that I attended. And so I'm thinking, you know what? what? What better way to test my Spanish than to go to McDonald's? Like, how hard can this be? So the next morning, as we had arrived late, I get up. I'm like, you know what? I'm going to go order. Uh, I just want a Big Mac. Uh, just a number one, right? So I was practicing all day. This is how I'm going to respond. Number one, number one. It's not that hard. So I get there, and, and I wait in line. I'm making sure they have it on the menu. And I get there, and the lady asked me something that I was not expecting. I don't remember what she asked me. And it turns out later, as I reflected on it, she asked me, for here or to go? 
And I was expecting, what would you like? Right? So I had this stunned look on my face, and all I could get out was numero uno. She finally said, sir, for here or to go? I'm like, okay, um, to go. Numero uno, to go. And I remember in that moment thinking, you know what, I thought I had prepared enough for what I was going to receive, and yet my preparation had fallen on its face. And I believe it's the same thing when we ask God questions. One of the greatest questions we can ask is this, God, who are you? And are we expecting the answer that we get? This is the text that we encounter this morning. As we wrestle with Exodus 3, we see Moses asking God, well, God, who is going to send me back to Egypt? And God giving him an answer he least expects. And so let's look at God's word together. Exodus chapter 3, verse 1 through 14. It's important that you follow with me because this is a lengthy passage. But it's also a passage that if you are unchurched or not familiar with the Bible, you are most likely familiar with this passage. Isn't it interesting that even those who are far from God, God is giving us glimpses and crumbs to bring us back to his central truths in our life. Exodus chapter 3. Beginning in verse 1, Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. Now, the sermon is not on working for your father-in-law. You can go back and make your own applications. And he led the flock to the back of the desert, and he came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire in the midst of a bush. So Moses looked, and behold, the bush was burning with fire, but the bush was not consumed. And Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush does not burn. So when the Lord saw that he turned aside to look, God called to him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, here am I. Then the Lord said, do not draw near this place. Take your sandals off of your feet, for the place where you stand is holy ground. Moreover, he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. And the Lord said, I have surely seen the oppression of my people who were in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. So I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up from that land to a good and a large land, to a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites. Now, therefore, behold, the cry of the children of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Verse 10, come now, therefore, and I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? And so he said, I will certainly be with you, and this shall be a sign to you that I have sent you. 
when you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this very mountain. Then Moses said to God, well, indeed, when I come to the children of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they say to me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, thus you shall say to the children of Israel, I am has sent you. Father, we declare today that you are the rescuer that we need. And Lord, truly we cannot understand your word unless your Holy Spirit opens our eyes. Father, we ask desperately today that you would open our eyes to your truth. That we would not be hearers only, but that the proclamation of your word would go forth from this place and that we would be doers of your word, that we would live in your will. And Lord, when you give unexpected answers in our life, that we would be satisfied knowing that you are who you are, that you are the great I am, and that you are everything that we need. Father, we pray this in your son's name, the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Well, the first thing we see in God's word this morning is this, that God is an everyday God. God is an everyday God. Look at verse 1. We, we find Moses tending the flock of Jethro. Now, it's important to note that the Egyptians did not think highly of shepherds. Actually, the Egyptians downplayed or cast their, their nose downward at shepherds, and so as we see Moses now in this lifestyle of shepherding, we find that if Moses goes back to Egypt, he no longer is going back as an Egyptian, he's going back as an Israelite. That God has radically changed his life because his change of occupation. Moses is different. And so when Moses asks, Lord, who am I that I should go back to Egypt? God is saying, Moses, don't you already know the geography? Lord, don't you know that, that I can work there? So Moses finds out that, that God is here working in his life. It's also important for us to note what Moses is not doing. He's tending the flock. And by the way, this is a 40-year ordeal. But what is Moses not doing here? He's not on some spiritual journey. Right? He's not fasting for 40 days and 40 nights. He has not changed his name to find himself. He has not changed some major um, event or circumstance in his life. He's not on this quest to find a burning bush. Moses is doing everything that he normally does in the daily routine. And I think that's a message for us today, that God is an everyday God. He's the same God today, Sunday, that he's going to be on Monday. And God desires for us to, to draw near to him in our everyday lives. So we must ask ourselves here then, so who is leading the sheep? Is it Moses or is it the Lord? I would argue that it is the Lord that is leading this process. So I ask you in your life as you look at the daily routine of your life, the daily ebb and flow, ebb and flow, and most of us have that, right? Uh, we get up every morning at, at 7 o'clock, the kids get up, and, 
and we feed them and we change one of them and the other changes his clothes and within about 45 minutes we need to be out of the house and we actually walk through the woods to go to one of the babysitters and we drive the car to the other one and then wife's going to work and I'm going to work and we just have a natural cycle of our life and that is not spiritual and it is not ungodly it is just what it is it bees what it bees but I'm thankful that we have a God who is who he is and he reminds us that he is the God of daily grace see I think this is true in our lives most of us struggle with the daily grind but if we give our daily grind to the Lord, he gives us, in place of the grind, daily grace. And I believe some of us are, are looking at tomorrow thinking, man, I have to tend those sheep again. And those, those things are so hard-headed, right? They don't listen. They fight. Or some of you are, are tending goats. You're like, look, I can't even, I can't even move them where they want to go because they start fainting. God, it's, it's just an ordeal. God, it's a daily grind, and God's reminder to us, Josh, if you give me every day, it's no longer a grind, it's a grace. He is the God of daily grace. So I encourage you this morning that you would give all 600,004 and 800 seconds of your week to the Lord. 604,800 seconds we have. Would you give those to God. You see, we find this in our lives that the God who rested on the Sabbath, what was he doing the rest of the week? I love this thought. If our Lord and Savior rested on the final day of the week, what was he doing the rest of the days? He was working. He was active. So what a, what a great response to us that as we rest for a time of family and worship today, that we would let God work in our lives the rest. He is an everyday God. But not only is he an everyday God, he is an everywhere God. Look what we see in Moses' life. Verse 1, he is tending the flock of Jethro, the priest of Midian, and he comes to Horeb, the mountain of God, through the back of the desert. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire from the midst of a bush. You know, I believe that Moses is going to a familiar pasture land. I believe Moses knows where to go because he's been there before. He has, a, he has a mindset of not only, Lord, I know what time I should take the flock, but I know where I should take the flock. And God is reminding us that not only is he an everyday God, he is an everywhere God. And we should expect God to show up everywhere. Oftentimes we ask God to Lord, move the mountains, throw the mountain in the sea, and I will know that you are working. God, if you would just part the Red Sea, God, I want to walk out to the Gulf of Mexico, and Lord, I would trust you if you just part the Gulf of Mexico. That's all I'm asking. I would believe in you. But what if God this morning says, I, I'll show you something. I'm going to give you a, a bush bush. God, no, I ask you for a mountain. God, I ask you to do something amazing in, in the church. God, I ask you to do something amazing with the oceans or with this or that. And God says, I will give you a bush. Because Josh, I need you to realize this. 
The same God who works on Sundays in the church is the same God who works on Sunday afternoons in your heart. And the same God who told the oceans where to stop is the same God that can show up in a small shrub. The same God that can move mountains is the same God that can show up in our molehill. And we need to understand that God is an everyday God and he is an everywhere God. This is the struggle that we have. We love in our life to compartmentalize our life. And we do that for survival. Right? Some of you, um, because you don't want your work to destroy your family, when you leave work, you have to shut it off. Right? For some of us, when we, when we clock out, we have to say, my brain clocks out too, because if I carry the work home, it's not going to be good. Um, for some of you who are educators, right, you're longing. When do you get out of school? May, I know you, you know the date. Right, you probably know the second, right? It's 20-something. Um, you're longing for that, because as much as you love kids, God has called you there Hey, my kids get on my nerves. How much more do other kids get on my nerves? Um, and so to, to prevent ours, we have to compartmentalize. And that, that's a natural outcrop of survival in our life. But here's the problem. We can't do that spiritually. But we try, don't we? We like to, we like to say, God, you can work here, but you can't work there. We come to God and we, we're like little children who clean up our rooms. We walk in our rooms and we see several large items on the floor. And so we pick those items and we put them in their right locations. And then we, we get the rest of the clutter and what do we do? We push it under the bed. And then we call our parents and we say, look what I've done. But what we've actually done is we've compartmentalized. We've tried to hide our dirty laundry. We've cleaned up the major things. We've tried to hide the small things. And here is the, the beauty of the good news of Jesus Christ. Jesus, with surgical precision, attacks our compartmentalization. He attacks it. He knows the areas that we're hiding. He knows the compartments that we put in our life. He knows those of us who said, God, I trust you to work at church, but I don't really want you working at the house because we struggle. Or God, I trust you at working at home because I love my family. But God, I have to do things when I, when, I, when I work. God, I have business practices that aren't necessarily God-fearing, so I don't want you to change those. Because God, I can't be successful if I trust you in my business. And God says, but no, you can't be successful eternally if you don't trust me. This is why Jesus Christ looked at a young man who had kept Every law. And Jesus said, but hey, there's one thing you lack. Give everything that you own and sell it to the poor. And the man went away sorrowful because he was very wealthy. God knew what he was hiding. God knew the place that the young man was saying, God, I want you to work everywhere but here. God looked at the woman at the well. This lady who was struggling in sin, and he, he ignored everything else that was going on in her life in that moment. And he looked at her heart because he knew she was struggling with relationships. And Jesus looked at this woman that, that the world hated and said, hey, um, I just want to point out the obvious. You've had five husbands, and the guy you're living with right now is not your husband. You're, you're uh, just playing house. And then Jesus said, look, go and sin no more. 
But God knew what she was hiding. God knew the place in her life where she didn't want him to work. Jesus, with surgical precision, attacks our compartmentalism. So I ask you today, what are you hiding from God? Is there some place you think in your life that is off limits? And maybe it's not hiding sin, but maybe you, you feel like, Lord, I, I just don't know if I could trust you. Lord, I'm struggling with cancer. I'm struggling with grief because my child has passed away. And God, if I'm, if I'm honest, I blame you. Tell God that. Because he knows that. And he can bring healing. What are you hiding from God? Or what are you saying, Lord, this is mine. I'm not willing to give it up. God says, I am everywhere, God. There is no place that is off limits. I believe also naturally we, we do a disservice in our lives and to our kids when we, when we make the focus of God's presence only on the church building. I remember growing up in church and, and hearing, you can't run here. This is the house of God. And, and I remember thinking, well, okay, that makes sense, right? We're coming, we're praying, and we're, we're worshiping God. But if we're not careful, what does that, if this is the house of God, then what does it mean for my home when I go home? Because if I'm living for the Lord, what should my house be? It should be a house where God dwells. And so I would just caution parents, um, don't make it about the building. Because the presence of God is now poured out on everywhere in our lives. Listen to Hebrews 10. Hebrews says, therefore, brothers, we have boldness to enter the holiness places by the blood of Jesus Christ. Now, that is a, an allusion to Jesus Christ tearing the temple of the curtain, the, the, the curtain in the temple. Remember what happened when Jesus dies on the cross. Before that, the, only the high priest once a year could go to the Holy of Holies. And then this place was so holy, this is where the Ark of the Covenant was kept. This is where God's presence was represented in this place. This is where God lived. And once a year, the priest would go there to offer atonement for the people. And it was such a holy dwelling place that they would tie a rope around the, the priest's leg because if he died because he brought sin in with him, they wanted to drag him out. That is the holiness of God. But this is what Jesus does. And this is what he did. When Jesus died on the cross, the Bible said that that, that temple and that curtain was torn from top to bottom. Why? Because the division of the presence of God was ripped in two. Symbolizing that our God is an everywhere God. That there is nothing in our lives off limits. And so God dwells as much here as he does in your home if you trust him and you believe. That God's presence is just as real here as it is as work if you let his daily grace sustain you. We say he is. Everything that we need. He is in everywhere, God. Trust him. Trust him. Trust him. Not only do we see that God is everywhere and he is every day, but we see this in verse 5. I want to caution us. This is something we struggle with in modern society, that we do not fear anything much anymore. Verse 5. The Lord speaks to Moses out of the bush he says, Moses, Moses, and Moses 
responds, here am I. And the Lord said in verse 5, do not draw near. Take your sandals off your feet for the place that you stand is holy ground. We need to understand that God is holy. We need to understand for our youth, right? Jesus is not your homeboy. He's not your BFF. Right? For some of our adults, he's not your pen pal. Right? For some of you who do still do smoke signals, he's not the one that sent his smoke signals to you. He's not our buddy. He is high and lifted up. He is holy and he is separate. He is the God that calls us, but he's a God that also when he calls us, he says, stop right there because you cannot come to me on your terms. And this is our struggle. We as a people want to go, come to God on our terms. We say, God, when I clean myself up, then I'll come. Right, God, when I get my life in order, then I will draw near your throne. And God says, that's not the way it works. God actually says it's radically different for us. Here's the hope. That while we were still sinners, while we were unclean, while we had dirty sandals on our feet, Christ Jesus died for us. So we don't come to God on our terms. We come to God on his terms. And that is only through Jesus Christ. That is why Jesus says, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No man comes to the Father. Aren't you glad that sentence doesn't stop there? What we deserve is no man comes to the Father. But there's a great but in that sentence. And Jesus says, but through me. And if you have been trying to come to Christ on your terms, if you have been approaching God on your terms, I just want you to know you cannot. You are failing miserably. You say, well, I don't see God work in my life. Maybe it's because you don't know him because you, you are not approaching him through the throne of grace. God is holy, and he is set apart through the blood of the Lamb. We see that not only is God everywhere, and not only is God in every time, not only is God holy, but he is this, verse 7. The Lord said, I have surely seen the oppression of my people. So God is speaking from the bush. He is holy. He is set apart. He is speaking through fire, a bush that is burning and yet not consumed. And he says to Moses, I have surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt. I have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I have come down to deliver them. This is what we see about the great I am, Yahweh, the one who is. He is a God of action. Our God is not a deaf God. He is a God who hears our trouble. He is a God that if you are brokenhearted, he is close. He is a God that if you have come in here today and, and you are struggling and you are downcast, he is the one that says, I hear your cry. Have you ever felt like that? Have you ever just felt, God, I've been crying out to you for years and no response? If we're honest, many of us have had that experience. God, why can't you see what's going on in my life? Maybe you had an experience like Jesus where Jesus says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And God's response this morning is this in verse 7. I have surely seen. I have surely heard. 
and I will deliver you. Our God is a God of action. That's his promise to you and to myself, that he loves us and he desires to work in our lives. So if our God is an active God, if our God sees our need before we see it, then what does that say when we are inactive? What do our excuses say to a God who is working in our life? Right? What are our excuses when, we, when God says, I am calling you to Egypt. I want to raise you up and bring you to do something for my glory, to do something for my kingdom. And we say, God, who am I? God, I can't speak. God, I, I don't know what's going on in Egypt. God is saying, but you don't understand, I am a God who is working constantly. And if you are following me, we have no excuse. Because the Holy Spirit now indwells us. I'm thankful that we don't have a God who's part-time. That God doesn't take time off in our life. And so if God is not taking time off in our life, then why are we content to give excuses and to be lazy? This is why so often in our life, God uses powerful language to talk about working, right? You work heartily unto the Lord, not as unto man. That he cares about what's going on daily, that we work for him. Husbands, we'll start with wives first. Wives, submit to your husbands as unto the Lord. And now the husbands are like, man, that's awesome. That's right, ladies, right? Did you hear that? But God says to the husbands, love your wives as Christ has loved the church. You know what that means, husbands? You should lose your life if that's what God is calling you to do. That is an active, daily, constant, Lord, I want to love my family. Do you know that God addresses past masters? He addresses bosses. He says, bosses, love your employees. Look at Philemon and how he is to address his workers. Love him like a brother. Not as a master over a slave, but as a brother loves his brother in Christ. That God says, I am working in you, and so are you ready for God to work and his power to be unleashed in your life? He is everything that we need. And lastly, I want us to dwell upon this this morning. This is the unexpected answer that we Meditated on earlier. Verse 14. God said to Moses, and we said, well, why is God answering Moses? What is, what is the question? Before we have an answer, we must have a question. Here's the question in verse 13. Moses says, what is your name? That's a really great question. Uh, Moses is actually bringing to God, though, a, a pagan mindset. Moses is asking God, um, so, God, where do you fit in the hierarchy of other gods? Right? That's what Moses is asking. So Moses is really asking a question of authority. God, what authority do you have? That's, that's an issue we struggle with, isn't it? We like to compartmentalize, and then we struggle with authority in that, and then we struggle with identity. God, what, what power and what purpose do you have in my life? God, where are you in the priority list? And the answer to God, from God, was, I am who I am. See, Moses doesn't really get a, a good answer. Moses is asking God, well, God, 
um, what is your name? Are you Ra, the sun god? Are you Hapi, the god of the Nile? Are you Amun, the god of the wind? Or are you um, Osiris, the god of the underworld or the afterlife? Or are you Pharaoh? Um, God, who are you? What is your name? What is your identity? God, how can I put you into this box? And God says, I be. You see, often in our lives, we want God to fit into a neat, small box that we have created. And we say, God, I've, I, these are the options. God, I will give you my life, but you're going to have to fit into this category. And, and God says to us, uh, Josh, you don't realize you don't define me. We struggle with identity in this age, do we not? We live in a world where our identity is fluid. Now listen to this. Think about this. We live in a world, and some of you who are a lot older than I am are going to amen this. We live in a world where, where the millennial generation, younger people, don't stay at a job for more than six months. Right? We, we, are, we are transient because, you know what, if we don't like it, we'll just move on. So we live in a world where we don't really have, if we're young, we don't find our identity in our career. We don't really care as long as we have food on the table and we can do what we want to do. So to change our identity, we just change jobs. But we live in a world where we can find our identity in our relationships. And so I can love a, a man today or love a woman tomorrow or um, now that, that identity is fluid. I can have uh, many relationships or I can love everything at the same time. And the great sin and the people I love and the relationships and the sexual orientation I have is that we try to bring and find identity in that. And God says, you don't find your identity in who you are with. You will find your identity in the king of kings and the Lord of lords. We live in a world where we can even change our gender. And listen, church, the fight is not with gender. The fight is with purpose and identity. What would cause someone to change their biological gender? It, they are struggling with identity. I was born a man, and yet I feel like I'm a girl. And that, that, that emotion is so strong that I need, to, I need to radically orient my entire life. What is that a search for? That is a search for, for identity. And so before we put our hands up and say, I can't believe you're doing that, that's really strange and weird and um, get away from us, we should embrace them and we should say, your struggle is your longing for the great I am. And we, as a church, will walk through the desert place with you. Because reality is this, studies have shown, for those that are struggling with their gender orientation, after that sex change, that the rate of suicide goes through the roof. Because no surgery is the answer to a longing that God has put in the heart. And there is no job that you can find in your life that will give you fulfillment. There is no name of God. There is no compartmentalization that will give us fulfillment. It is only found in the one true God. And he said, well, pastor, give me a name. I need something. G give me something neat. Give me something tidy. You just give me, what is his name? His name is. Because he is everything. 
This is the God of the Bible. This is the Father of Jesus Christ. This is the God who spoke everything into existence. This is the God that gives you identity and has authority in your life. So if you are here this morning, you have struggled with, God, what is my purpose? What am I doing? The answer is found in Jesus. And if you are struggling with, well, you know what? I will give everything to God but my kids. I will give everything to God but my house or my career. That is an authority problem. And Jesus is looking you in the face and saying that he is the king of kings. And only one king can rule at a time. But the comfort is that God is everywhere. He is every place. He is at every time. He is a God that is acting in your life for those that love him and are called according to his purpose. And he desires a relationship with you. Where he will turn the daily grind into daily grace. And the world needs to see our Savior poured out into every aspect in our life. The world needs to see that when we have shrubs in the front of our house, it is aflame with the Holy Spirit. We need to see God working in our lives in a mighty way. We need to see our homes filled up with his glory. Our pews filled up with those longing for Christ because they see it in us. So you say, Pastor, well, how do I know this God who is both transcendent, holy, and lifted up, and near to us? In the ancient Near East, when you would call someone by their name twice, it was a call of a friend to another friend. And so when God called out to Moses, 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 Moses realized instantly that this was a voice of a dear friend. But look at the response of God to Moses. He says, stop, because the place that you are walking, do not come near, because the place you are treading is holy ground. And God tells Moses this, you must untie your sandals. You must take your sandals away. Why would Moses wear sandals? Well, Moses was a shepherd. And so we know Moses had a lot of opportunity to get his feet dirty. But God reminds us we cannot come to his presence if we have not taken off our sandals. And you say, well, Pastor, what does that mean? I'm not wearing flip-flops. The sandals for Moses were anything that would keep his feet from harm and dirt. And so what have you put in your life as protection? To say, God, I have put put these things up in my life to keep me clean. God, I, I come to church because it keeps me clean, or I have... I have built good friends around me. Or God, I'm doing this because I want to clean myself. And God's response is, stop where you are. Because you cannot come to me in your own power. Because you cannot clean yourself up enough. You are not a good person. And so, Pastor, that's a horrible thing to say. No, it is a, it is a, liber- it is a liberating thing to think of to know that I am not good. And yet Christ died for me. So this morning, if you have come with sandals on your feet and you need redemption that is found in Jesus Christ, will you take off the things in your life that are giving you safety? Will you take off the sandals in your life spiritually that are giving you comfort and hope? And say, Lord, I'm tired of trying on my own. Today is the day I will take my spiritual sandals off. I will lay it bare and I will hear that you are who you are. 
And you will be who you will be. And God, you are my everything. Let's pray.